the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website and your host for the See you at the Game podcast. In a moment, I will be joined by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we'll discuss the exciting 37-34 double overtime win posted by the University of Colorado over Oregon State. We'll then turn our attention to the Buffs' upcoming game against UCLA in the Rose Bowl on Saturday night. The victory over Oregon State was not only important for the CU program, but it was both an exhausting and exhilarating evening for the Buff Nation. CU raced out to a 10-0 first quarter lead and had a 20-10 advantage in the second half, only to see the Beavers take a 24-20 lead with 8 minutes to play. Rather than fold, the Buffs mounted a touchdown drive of their own to retake the lead, only to put their fans through not one, but two Oregon State field goal attempts in the final minute of play. The second attempt by Oregon State kicker Everett Hayes was good, a 60-yarder, which tied Hayes with CU legend Mason Crosby for the longest field goal in Folsom Field history. With the home fans sure that the Buffs had found a new and absurd way to lose a game, the Buffs redeemed themselves with a touchdown in the first overtime, and when Everett Hayes missed a 38-yarder in the second overtime, freshman CU kicker Cole Becker calmly drilled a 43-yarder for a game winner, 37-34 Colorado in two overtimes. Now, the Buffs were 10 to 12 point underdogs to Oregon State, but emerged victorious. This weekend, the Buffs are 17 point underdogs to UCLA. Can the Buffs pull off another upset, or will the Oregon State game prove to be the high watermark of the 2021 season? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back. We're going to first talk with Brad. I was hoarse on Saturday night, but I've had 48 hours to recover. How's the how's the voice box doing on a Monday evening, Brad? I'm in fine fettle today. We've got lots to talk about. Very good. And coming to us from downtown Denver, the, um, yes, I picked the buffs to win, Neil Langland. <laughs> uh, how are you doing this evening, Neil? Oh, well, thanks for mentioning that, Stu. Um, pretty quiet downtown here, but I, too, was hungover yesterday. My adrenals were totally exhausted, so I've kind of spent the day on my back. But I've recovered, and I'm ready to, to get with it here. Okay, well, let's talk about a win, because we haven't had a chance to do that for several weeks. If you've been hiding in the Himalayas somewhere and just got back, Colorado 37, Oregon State 34 in double overtime. And Neil, we'll let you 
give your first impressions. You picked 33-30 Colorado. You picked the Buffs to win by three points. So you've done good. So tell us uh, your overall first impressions of uh, Colorado winning first Pac-12 game in three weeks. Well, that pick was, of course, the product of many hours of late study and <laughs> statistical modeling. Uh, you know, all the, the logic pointed to Steve losing. I just thought it was time for an irrational choice. So total fluke. And with that in mind, I was really pleasantly surprised again with CU's offense and how well they have opened up the playbook, uh, reformed their blocking techniques or whatever they're doing. Their receivers are getting open. There's creativity in the game plan. We're not sticking with plays that don't work. The offense was multiple, all, all kinds of plays, different schemes. We had zone blocking. We had gap. Uh, had some power stuff. And I think on a couple of occasions, we had mass protect and pass protection, allowed some time to get the ball downfield. Really happy with that. The defense played well when it had to, and I think um, did well in the second half, made some good adjustments. The kicking game was not up to par that it had been in the past few weeks. Um, We had that long return there in the fourth quarter. And a a miss of a field goal that I thought we would usually make. Other than that, I thought it was a great team effort. And the best part of it, I think, was the resilience showed by the team. Okay. Well, Brad, I think complete team effort. I think certainly in the post-game quotes from the head coach, Carl Durrell, and the players, pretty much everyone that's written about the game, that it was CU's most complete game. Opened up with the 10-point lead in the first quarter, scored a field goal on the first drive, a touchdown on the second drive, forced some quick three and outs from the Oregon State offense, which I couldn't believe they opened the game with three straight passes when they came in 11th in the country in rushing. But thank you, Brian Lindgren, one last little present from uh, CU's former offensive coordinator to try and throw the ball too much. Your impressions overall, Obviously, uh, when the team wins, uh, you know, you're going to come away with a smile on your face. But uh, what what did you take away from the game, uh, big picture wise? Big picture wise, it was very equal effort from both sides of the ball. Both had bad moments. There were times it felt like Oregon State could drive as they wanted to. But on other times, the defense stood up and, and made the stops that they needed to do. The offense at times looked, well, certainly looked as good as it has all year. That ain't great. Um, It's still not a 400-yard offense, but they figured out how to run block. Uh, They gave the running backs options and abilities to cut back. And, you know, I thought at the end of the game, the Oregon defense looked a little tired, which we haven't forced on anybody yet. So most impressive to me was that this was a team that for the first time this year really looked like they could take a punch. They, you know, gave up, gave up a lead, took a lead. They had a touchdown taken away from them. And earlier in the year, that team would not probably have come back. And they just turned around and said, okay, we got another play. There's a resiliency being built here that we didn't see earlier. Um, There's a resiliency in backup players. I thought, for example, there were times that the linebackers did not do great, but they got better. 
they figured out their mistakes and they made fewer of them. So this team feels like it's, you know, like it's figuring itself out a little bit more. It knows where its talent is. It knows where its strengths are. And even when it makes the inevitable mistakes, it doesn't just get down. They're ready to play. Yeah. Well, Neil, it seems like Brendan Lewis is coming into his own or at least developing after the game. Coach Durrell said that this guy, B. Lou, it's hard for me to say B. Lou, Brendan Lewis, still Brendan Lewis to me, but B. Lou to the rest of the planet is the guy that's driving the ship and his press conference today. He emphasized we are very pleased with where he is going. Certainly he is the man now. 170 yards passing, not going to set any records, not going to get Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, but three touchdowns, completing about 70% of his passes last couple of weeks. Got three touchdowns uh, against Oregon State and three touchdowns against Oregon with no interceptions. So is Brendan Lewis the quarterback at the University of Colorado for the next three and a half years, or we still have more to more to see from Brendan Lewis's development going forward? Um, that's a good question. And I think it's on everyone's mind. He is certainly the leader in the clubhouse right now, uh, just pro- from his performance and his improvement and his trajectory. Uh, we've seen him improve each week uh, since the bye week, actually. So what he has done, he has managed to protect the ball while taking more risks in the passing game. There seems to be ability of him to step up into the pocket that we haven't seen before on that last touchdown that he he threw. Um, He was getting pressure from his left side, stepped up, completed the pass. Pass was right on target, right on time. And what he's showing now is, I think, the respect of of, um, his players in the huddle or when he's calling plays or directing them. He just seems now to be taking charge. He's emerging as a go-to person, as a leader on the offense. Yeah. Well, Brad, you know, looking at the the final stats, I actually made a stick when I first was posting this late Saturday night. See, he was outgained 475 yards to 392. It didn't seem like the defense was about to give up 500 yards. No Nate Landman again, kind of linebacker by committee. Oregon State has a, a decent team. This is the team that beat Utah. It's the only team in the conference so far that's beaten Utah. They've beaten USC. This is a quality opponent, but just bend but don't break. Colorado had nine penalties, which could come back to bite them in future weeks if they continue that. Is there enough growth development here that uh, the bus can – build off of this or is this kind of just Oregon state back-to-back road games and just, as you mentioned, kind of wore down at the end and just didn't have it at the end, but this is just a, a lucky win for Colorado. It wasn't like Cal going to Arizona and having seven starters not play there. You know, Oregon state had its whole complement of players, but almost lost the game is, are we going to read too much into this, or is this uh, a game that we're going to look back on two years from now and say this was a, a turning point kind of a game? You know, we have to keep that in mind because 
You know, the next three games are tough. We could well end this season on a three-game losing streak. But this was a quality win. There was no fluke here. We didn't win on a a last-second interception or anything like that. We made enough mistakes to lose and then made enough plays to win. Players that we thought would step up and play, played. Brendan Lewis made, you know, his last two touchdowns. The pass for a touchdown in the fourth quarter was the best pass he's thrown all year. He ran, he rolled out. He didn't find his first receiver. He didn't find his second receiver. He waited for the third to come open, and then he drilled it. Watch that play on replay. That ball doesn't fall. It just hits. And then the touchdown in overtime, where in the past he's been hesitant on some of those, hesitant on some of those runs, he took the ball and he put his head, he put his eyes on the pylon, and he headed for it. This is a different level of decisiveness here. On the defense, Quinn Perry. Had an excellent game. Yeah, it was bend but don't break. We gave up way too many third downs. We gave up way too many long third downs. Those were frustrating. Certainly those of us in the stadium kept waiting for that big stop. But worse than third downs matters. Getting on them matters. We played better against the run in the second half. We made them do things that they don't prefer to do. So, you know, as this goes on and we face, you know, there's two good teams in front of us in Washington, who knows? And it's possible we'll get drilled. But this team has enough talent to win games in the Pac-12 and enough good, enough guts right now to probably do that. Okay. Well, Neil, I have to tell you that when Oregon State scored to make it 24-20 in the fourth quarter, my prediction for the game was 27 to 20, Oregon State. And I have to say, I was thinking that I was damned if I was going to be right about this. I could just see, as we've seen with Colorado teams in the past, fall behind in the fourth quarter, either drive till the 50-yard line, screw something up, or just go three and out. The opposition then methodically does a three, four, five-minute drive to make it a 27-20 game, kick a field goal, and then Colorado does something you know, futile in the last few moments to give it us a chance to win the game, but of course, ultimately falling short. Uh, Brad was talking about the resiliency. It seems when I was in the stands with Brad, when we had that 60-yard field goal, we'll talk a little bit more about the 60-yard field goal here in a second, but I didn't think the Colorado was going to win that game. Come falling behind and with eight minutes to go, having a 60-yard field goal to tie it, after we thought a missed field goal with 32 seconds was going to end the game. Did you think the Colorado was going to win or was your uh, football power index showing that uh, Colorado was in the 99th percentile of going to lose that, that game at those points? Well, my model crashed at that point and all I was left with guys. And I think you both have touched on this is I just had that bad feeling like, Oh God, here we go. We hung on as long as we could, and now Oregon State's superiority is just going to become apparent. Well, the difference, I think, in the yards that OSU compiled and the ones that CU did is that CU did it, executed when it had to and when it really meant something, rather than just piling up yards. OSU had some times where they missed an open receiver or the receiver had a drop. We didn't have any of that. And when it mattered 
see you execute it. And that's another big difference, not just from this team pre-buy, but in previous years. So that's a real positive, I think, that both of you have mentioned. Yeah. Well, thank you for a good segue. If anybody hasn't read my essay for the game, Three for the Win, that's right on the same idea. So, Brad, we were in the stands when Colorado got the ball after missed field goal, 32 seconds left, ran up the middle three straight times, punted the ball away, and then had a prevent defense for the ages. Five defensive backs basically at the goal line, 50 yards away from the ball. Oregon State completes a nine-yard pass and completes the comeback with an improbable 60-yard field goal. Any qualms with how Colorado played? There are some people on the message boards that say we should have tried to pass the ball because everybody knew we were going to run up the middle, should have run around and Anything different that stands out that made it more tense and should have ended in regulation or it just was a fluke that it went into overtime at all? Well, Durrell admitted we got outcoached. That punt should never have been returnable. Right. That punt, and I, you and I were talking. We want to kick it out of bounds, make them throw deep. We didn't. They got a return. I don't know who where the miscommunication was there, but without the return, there wasn't a chance at the, at the pass that gets into a 60-yarder. And by the way, can we all just take a moment for the Oregon State kicker who went from GOAT for missing the tying field goal to Hero for hitting the tying field goal to go to can for missing the field goal in overtime. I don't know where that kid sat on the plane, but I think it was a challenging flight home. Um, no, I mean, there there were, that was probably the biggest coaching mistake. It was not understanding that they would give that kid a chance again to get a 60-yard field goal. As to the three plays, no, not in a minute. There's not, you know, that kind of second guessing is real easy to do once you get to overtime. But no, the punt should have been better. Yeah. And he did it in his press conference on Monday say that was a, a coaching error, especially when they were protecting against the block. That, you know, was goal number one. You got to get the punt off. And if you don't have to have mass protect, then you're not going to have good coverage. And that ended up with a 26 yard return. Neil, how about when they got to the second overtime, Oregon State's kicker? uncharacteristically at that point, missed a 38-yard field goal. Colorado then proceeded to run up the middle three times, and yes, Cole Bracker became a hero, made the four- to three-yard field goal, but you know there was a five-yard penalty there. Colorado basically was playing for the field goal. Was that the right strategy? Should it have been going for the win at that point? Because if Becker had missed the field goal in second overtime, it would have been definitely an opportunity squandered. Were you okay with the coaching decisions made in the run up the middle three times at the end of the game and run up the middle three times in the second overtime? Well, taking the first situation in regulation, watching that, I thought you need to melt as much time as possible here. So snap it to the quarterback, let him run with a blocker in front or one behind, run to the sideline fall down, that's going to consume five or six seconds. And it's not going to put the ball in great jeopardy. And then do the same thing 
and then on third down, put the ball where you want it to be. I, I didn't like that play selection at all. We could have melted the clock. And just to sort of jump on the punt a little bit, you're exactly right. We outkicked the coverage because we were in max protect. It needed to be uh, toward a sideline or not kicked as far. And I I don't think it was a player error or, or an execution error by the players. I think it was a coaching mistake that uh, enabled that 26-yard return. Now to the, the second overtime, I was fine with CU not gambling away what was a gift, really, from OSU. And trying to be aggressive there, we didn't need six points. We needed three. So just trying to get the ball in the best position to trust our kicker, I think that was the right thing to do. Okay, well, at the end of the day, it was a win, a desperately needed win, a win over a quality opponent. I think my impression was trying to make up some understanding of why I was enjoying this game more is the fact that the Northern Colorado game, the Arizona game, we were supposed to win those games. And so there was a stress level going into those games about not losing games that you're not supposed to lose. But we were 10, 12-point underdog to Oregon State. So it made it all the sweeter to come out early, build a 10-0 lead, build a 20-10 lead. And out of the 60 minutes, we think we were behind for like four minutes and ahead for 45. So Overall, pleasant evening in Boulder weather-wise and a pleasant evening in Boulder at the end of the game. But let's move on. The calendar turns, and now we are going to be facing another quality opponent, UCLA, 5-4 and four on the season, 3-3 three and three in Pac-12 play. Certainly a disappointment if you're a UCLA fan as to how the season has unfolded Colorado fans would love to be five and four right now, but that's UCLA's plight. They've lost the last three games at home, but they have won pretty much every time we've played in the Rose Bowl. The only time Colorado beat UCLA in Pasadena was in 2002. Colorado actually has like, I think it's only, Five wins in the state of California in its history. You've got the Holiday Bowl against Washington that CU won late 90s. You got the 2002 UCLA game and a couple of wins at Stanford. I think that's about it for Colorado playing in the state of California and coming away with the victory. So, Neil, want to give us first initial impressions of the UCLA Bruins and what the buffs are going to be facing Saturday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Time on the Pac-12 networks. Very similar is UCLA to Oregon State. Powerful offense, a very good physical offensive line, some talent at the running back position, probably more talent than Oregon State. They've got a one-two punch that's just phenomenal. Um, I wonder about their quarterbacking. Uh, whether it's DTR or Garbers, I'm not sure what the decision there will be. Um, on defense, um, another similarity to OSU is a very weak pass defense. I saw the end of the Fresno game. 
it looked like seven on seven where the defense only was playing with four or five. If CU can, not to get to the prediction point, but I think CU needs to focus on its passing offense here. It may have an advantage. Okay. Well, Brad, the Dorian Thompson Robinson's no one of those players. It seems like he's been there since the dawn of time. May come as a surprise. Some in Colorado is actually two and one against DTR as a starting quarterback. Won both times that he started in Boulder. Uh, in 2018, it was kind of a unique circumstance. It was the first Pac-12 game for the freshman quarterback, and that's when Chip Kelly's first season. And they started off, they came into Boulder 0-3, and C was 3-0. and And Thompson Robinson did okay, but didn't do a very good job overall with the team because the Buffs ran away with the 38-16 win. Thompson Robinson did lead the UCLA Bruins to a 31-14 win over the Buffs in Pasadena in 2019, 226 yards, two touchdowns. And then last season, the season opener for both teams, it was a 48-42 CU win, and Thompson Robinson had 303 yards passing with four touchdowns and had another 109 yards rushing with another score. So overall, we're talking about almost 700 yards passing, seven touchdowns, two interceptions, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is very familiar with the Colorado defense. So assuming, now again, Thompson-Robinson, as Neil touched on, he was injured in the fourth quarter of the Oregon game, did not play in the Utah game. Ethan Garbers, brother of Chase Garbers from Cal, who tore up Colorado's defense, started against Utah. But sounds like with the bye week, UCLA is going to have their starting quarterback back. What can the Colorado defense do that has always, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, struggled against running quarterbacks? What can Colorado do to contain Dorian Thompson-Robinson? Well, I mean, CU's got to do everything he did against Oregon State and do it a little bit better. There were times against Oregon State that they stopped the run quite well. There were times against Oregon State that they could get pressure on the quarterback, and that forced a lot of errors. There were times that they could stop the quarterback runs. There were other times all of those things were lacking. I think UCLA, it UCLA is probably a better team than Oregon State at CU. And so to win this, we have to be a better team than we were last week. That's just the reality of this. We're not completely outmatched by a long shot. This is not like we're playing against Oregon in terms of talent. DTR um, is another one of those guys who has a very clear ceiling. He's unlikely to just explode on you, but he is good enough to beat us. If we don't play a little better than we did, we certainly got to avoid the penalties, and we have to get more pressure on the quarterback. Okay. Well, Neil, his weapons – DTR's weapons, the 29th ranked rushing offense. You guys both touched on that this is fairly similar to what we just faced against Oregon State. Zach Charbonnet leads the team with 797 yards rushing. It seems impossible to have those high totals are just not something that Steve's having this year with uh, Britton Brown with 558 yards rushing. Both of those are obviously better than anything that CU has 
in terms of a rushing attack. Passing, not so great. Um, not as much to fear. Although I am always afraid of a quality tight end playing against the University of Colorado defense. <laughs> and Greg Dulcich is the tight end that seems to do very well for the UCLA offense. Are you wary of this offense or is this just something we're just going to accept that they're going to score points and we have to outscore them? That is a big issue that'll determine the outcome. If CU is able to contain UCLA's running game and force UCLA to be a one-dimensional passing team, that plays to the defense's strength, which is the secondary. The key to the game, I think, well, CU's plan should be to shut down that running game. And that's a tall task, I think. With regard to the tight end, saw him play in a couple of games, and he is as advertised. He is a weapon, uh, especially down on the goal line. So I, I, I think that CU has to, to really concentrate on its, its run game defense and matching up and stopping those backs. Uh, we can't afford missed tackles because those guys will just run over weak tackles. If we can control them and not let those running get, uh, running backs get seven or eight yards, um, I think that CU has a good chance. But the key is going to be to make UCLA a passing team and make DTR or Garbers win the game. Okay. Well, if they do pass the ball, again, we think it's their passing game is the weaker part of it, Brad, but Kyle Phillips has 528 yards receiving. Dulcich has 477 yards. Compare that to CU's leading receiver, Brendan Rice, who has 18 catches for 285 yards. So what we think of UCLA not having a strong passing attack, it's still considerably better than what Colorado has put on the field for the nine games of the 2021 season. So are we in a position where we think that the Colorado offense can outscore somebody? Is that the new and improved Colorado game plan? 29 points against Oregon, 27 points in regulation against Oregon State, 37 points with a double overtime. Is that our hope? We don't seem to have that many long, sustained drives, and we've done better certainly than we were earlier in the season. The last two games have been much more fun to watch for Buff fans with actual drives instead of three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Oh, my God, three and out, three and out, three and out. Uh, can the Buffs take this show on the road against Oregon yeah, it was 29 points, but they all came after C was down 21 to nothing. So there is an argument to be made that those 29 points weren't exactly against the first team. We're still trying to win the game defense. Can the Buffs outscore UCLA? Is that the best strategy at this point to try and post more points, accepting the fact that UCLA is going to get near their average of 32? Yeah, unfortunately. Assuming Landman doesn't play, and I think we have to plan on him not playing. Again, the defense was better and seems to be figuring a couple of things out. 
there were a couple of potential long plays Oregon State could have had that they didn't pull off that might have changed the game. Yeah, I, nobody we have has the number of catches that UCLA has. On the other hand, I think there's a chance we're more explosive. You know, Broussard had his big run. I think we're seeing him come back and be more of what he was. I think Brendan Rice remains one of the most talented players on the field. And Chenault, um, coming back from suspension, showed true flashes of why he's on the team. So I don't know that comparing stats is how we want to do this. I think that, yeah, I think we're not going to win this game 14 to 7. We don't have the defense that can do that now. They're going to give up some points, but I think they can be better. And I think they're getting better. So, yeah, we, we have to be balanced, which we weren't early in the season, and we're coming more so. So that's who we're at right now. Okay. Well, Neil, it seems like if you're looking at the defensive stats for UCLA, they're in the 120s out of 130 teams in pass defense. And similar to what we had against Oregon State, they're 121st in third down preventions, third down conversion defense. So it would seem that trying to maintain possession, actually getting conversions on third downs and taking advantage of a pass defense, which has been suspect. There's lots of stories in the LA papers about how the defensive coordinator doesn't even talk to the press. Surprised that he hasn't been fired seems to be this is fire coordinator week. And he's not a popular guy and Chip Kelly this might be the final nail in his coffin if he loses to somebody like Colorado that hasn't won well one game in Pasadena in its history so do you have confidence in Brendan Lewis and Dimitri Stanley and Brendan Rice and hey maybe Brady Russell to take the pressure off the rushing game and open up some holes for Jared Broussard to make Colorado an effective weapon uh, playing on the road in the Rose Bowl. This team has really not done all that well on the road until it went to Eugene, and they gave a decent account of themselves as a road team there. So perhaps that's one of their strengths. I think the wide receiver core, as you mentioned, if you add Lamonius Craig and Penry in there, they have a diverse set of receivers. Henry is more of a possession guy that's going to get some yards after the catch. We have, I think, an advantage with receivers. And if we are able to have even a running game that gets, gets us to third and four, third and five, we should be able to convert against that defense with that wide receiver core. And I'm confident that with opening the playbook the way we have done, and with the progress in our quarterback, in our line play, and in our receivers, that we'll be able to mount some drives and be able to keep the ball and maybe win the time of possession thing, which will help our defense. Uh, the key to that, of course, is, as always, whether our O-line continues to improve. And I'm going to take a flyer on them and say, I think they're building some momentum. They're liking the ride. And they're going to be better this week than they were last week. Okay. Well, it's prediction time since, Brad, you and I failed in our prediction to be faithful <laughs> to our buffs. We'll let you go first. And anybody that's listened to the podcast, of course, my 
prediction comes in written form on Wednesday mornings at the See You at the Game website when I post my written tips for the game. Colorado's heading to Pasadena. It's going up against a team that has been disappointing. It won't be a huge crowd because it's never a huge crowd in the Rose Bowl. And especially since this team has lost three straight games at home, not as popular as might otherwise be and see you not being the draw that it might otherwise be. So 6 p.m. kickoff looks like the weather is going to be spectacular. It's going to be in the 80s in L.A., so it should probably be in the nice 60 to 70 or 8 degree range for kickoff. How do you see Colorado's road trip to Pasadena unfolding on Saturday night? Uh, and I apologize to the Buffs for picking against them, although none of us were far off on the score. Vegas thinks that this is a bigger game. Uh, I think the line's 17, 17 and a half. I think that this is a higher scoring affair than people think. I think it, I think it has a chance to be a good back and forth affair, another somewhat stressful one. But we're on the road. And that worries me. So I think probably UCLA. 34-28. Okay. Well, Neil, as Brad mentioned, this is a pretty wide spread. So as much optimism, as much enjoyment as we got out of the Oregon State win, and as much as UCLA looks like Oregon State on paper, 17-point favorites at home. So Vegas is not buying into the resurgence and the resurrection of the University of Colorado football program. You're our optimist. You're the guy that got it right last week. So is this a two in a row that Colorado is going to beat a double digit spread or is this a return to earth for the University of Colorado football team? Well, just a short digression on spreads. Vegas tries to equate the dollars wagered on each side and tries not to expose itself. So they're guessing what betters are feeling like, not necessarily how strong the two teams are. That said, I'll be optimistic and say, I think that spread does not accurately reflect the, the difference between the two teams. And I think Brad is right on the money by saying it's going to be a high scoring game. And like last week, it may come down to the last few minutes of who executes and who does not. I think the Buffs are kind of riding a wave here, and UCLA seems to be a little down. So I'm going to go 31-28 Buffs. <laughs> okay. Well, it wasn't well. Well, it wasn't a fluke if they if they pull it off again. So. I think we can't get any more optimistic words out of downtown Denver. So, Brad, I'm going to let you have the final word. What, uh, what would you like to pass along about uh, your experience at Folsom Field, about life in general? What, uh, what positive words can you send us off with for this podcast? Oh, there are many positives to still be carrying on. I don't know if those who watched it on TV understood how really great the student section was. Um, how into the game they were, appropriately so. Um, so that was fun. It was an enjoyable day. If you ever get the chance to watch a game from the club seats, they may not be the best view, but they aren't a bad place to spend a game. This is going to be fun. I think we're going to see, at least in the next couple of weeks, a team that really wants to play well, really wants to win. And I hope uh, 
outcome or not, I think you're going to see some improvement. And I'm excited about that. Very good. Okay. Well, gentlemen, we're going to let that be the final words of wisdom before we head off into the LA night. And we will talk again next Monday. Go Bobs. Go Bobs. Thanks for listening. As always, your comments and reviews are welcome and encouraged. Please remember to subscribe at your favorite podcast site. Hard as it may be to believe, the 2021 season is winding down and it won't be easy to remember to check out the See With The Game website or podcast during the off-season. If you subscribe, however, you'll always be alerted to new podcasts as soon as they are posted. My thanks for your kind emails and comments posted here and on the website about See You At The Game. This is truly a labor of love, and knowing that there are great buff fans out there thirsty for information on our buffs keeps me motivated. The CU basketball season is just getting underway, so there'll be even more content posted daily on the website. I hope you'll come along for the ride. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.